Hi there, this is Terry bringing you another episode of the Animation Industry Podcast. This episode features the director of the deranged comedic dive into the human psyche, The Shivering Truth, Kat Solon. Not only did Kat direct the latest season two of The Shivering Truth, which comes out on Adult Swim on May 10th next week, but she also directed the pilot all of season one and was the executive producer. In our chat, Kat is going to reveal how her career led to directing The Shivering Truth and other projects like Tierra Wack's unemployment music video, which went viral just a few weeks ago, Plus, she's going to give us an exclusive look behind the scenes of what it actually took for each episode to come to life from imagination to creation. And what's really unique about The Shivering Truth is that it crossed a whole lot of new boundaries not yet seen in mainstream stop motion. So I hope you enjoy our chat and of course, check out the premiere of The Shivering Truth season two on Adult Swim on May 10th. Now let's dive in. Hi Kat, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. I'm, uh, I, I'm... I am having a nice day here in Los Angeles. <laughs> it's a Monday. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, the weather, the weather here in Toronto is it's like a surprisingly nice day. We had snow just a couple of days ago, so I'm happy. It's very nice out. Um, I love Toronto. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I need to make it to LA at some point. I've never been. Um, oh, gotta... So I do want to talk all things Shivering Truth because that's where your claim to fame comes recently. And, you know, the... The new season is launching soon. Um, but take me back to the start. What was that dream that you pursued as a, a young person that led you to this in the first place? What a nice question. I love that question. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, uh, when I was really, when I was younger, uh, the, the, I, I think my parents really, uh, loved that they could hand me a pencil and paper and I would just, shut up and and draw uh <laughs> and and it really um i lo i've loved drawing ever since i was as as old as i can remember and my grandmother was like a painter and she would teach me stuff um and i and i always took a lot of drawing and painting art classes um and what i would do is i would i would draw and i would watch old movies like my parents would put on um classics like old classics and musicals and old television shows and things and I I would sometimes like very young like five or six or whatever stay up all night long drawing and watching like Bob Newhart um you didn't and have a block bedtime like the rest of us <laughs> I probably did but I, I was I just did what I wanted um but I uh I would just that was really um I I got so that in that regard I got really into fabricating while also taking in other art and um I got really obsessed with movies and I and I wanted to make movies and and I also loved I loved live action movies and I wanted to make live action movies and I also loved animation and my mom one day just said to me like hey Catherine I was Catherine back then uh <laughs> do you um uh uh do you know that animated movies are you could they're just drawings you you draw like you could do this. You could just draw and, and make a movie. And I, that blew my mind. And I was like, wait, these movies, like, and that's like the first time I remember as a young kid, understanding that movies are something that somebody made and that there are tricks involved into make in making movies and that those tricks are fascinating and can be really, um, uh, be really, um, simple, but, but you, you, but magic and that you don't see it like 
Um, and I just got so obsessed with needing to know how things were done in movies. And I got really obsessed with explaining to everyone, like how everything is made and happens in the world, even though I didn't know at all how things were made and how I just would make it up. Um, and I would watch And then I got into watching like any behind the scenes thing I could, um, figuring out how these like magic tricks are happening that we're all obsessed with. And, and I, I just, um, that's, so I've just been doing that ever since. I'm like, you can use something as simple as your hand holding a pencil, making a line on a piece of paper, that that can be a magic trick that will blow people's minds is, is I, it's like, that's what made me want to make movies my whole life. And, and so now I do live action and animation. Um, and, um, pretty much I just kept doing it. I just, I just kept drawing and I, it's, I, I, I think we all have a lot of hobbies as kids, you know, if we're lucky, we get, you know, we get to do sports or we get to do, um, you know, uh, other kinds of like theater or music or, uh, things that we really love. And, um, the thing that I'd kept doing was making like physical objects, like paintings and sculptures and, and drawings. And, um, that was my main attraction to art. And, um, but then I, uh, when I got older, I, um, I, uh, it's so funny. I, I always say like, I didn't start taking photos until a photographer broke my heart. Uh, and then, <laughs> but then, then I, cause I was like, what do I love so much about this photographer? And, and then I was like, Oh, I love that he takes these beautiful photos. And I was like, but I can do that. And then I just started oh. taking photos. <laughs> so then it became kind of, um, you know, I was pretty young. I was high school, but then it became kind of like, uh, this, this, um, I could, I figured out I could make movies too. And so I just kind of kept doing it. I could, whatever means I had. (laughs) How do you go from just doing it by whatever means you have to developing it into a career and then directing one of the strangest, weirdest, craziest stop motions I've ever seen in my life? And I, like, I didn't watch every stop motion I can find possibly on the internet. So what, what was like your first, gig like how did you manage to make your first buck out of what you were doing and then how did you turn that into becoming director producer so when i was um uh in beginning of college uh like my freshman sophomore year freshman year i think freshman year i um took an animation 101 class it was a stop motion 101 class I went to the school of the art institute of Chicago and um there's a really great animation program there I don't know how much have you talked about that at all on your podcast uh here and there but feel yeah. free to I it, it really like I you know I come from Arizona I I um I had uh uh I really loved Cal Arts too and I had interest of going there but coming from Arizona Chicago was for me, like, uh, it, it just was, it was a more, it was a place I could go that would, like, shake me up and force me to see the world in a new way because it was so different from Arizona. And I love architecture, and I wanted to be somewhere where there were Mies van der Rohe buildings, you know? And I, uh, so I went to Chicago, and the exper- the program there is very experimental and very much focused on concepts and uh, on critique and not necessarily on how to work with a full crew and how to, at least at the time, this was a while ago. Um, it, uh, but it was really special. And so, um, I, 
I learned there sort of, um, they gave you all the tools that you needed, um, but they, and, and all the critique you needed, but they didn't tell you what to do and they didn't tell you how to do it. So you kind of had to make it up and make it work on your, on your own. And one, my, I think it was that first class, I think it was animation. I think it was the first animation class I took, which was, I'm, I'm now really good friends with the teacher is this woman, Laura Height, who is incredible and has made some incredible short stop motion pieces through the years that I, I could send you that I'd recommend that you watch. Um, but, uh, she, uh, she had us do a one minute short and, um, one minute is a really hard, okay. Well, at the time now it's very common, I think, but at the time it, it's, it's a very challenging, it had to be a narrative story told in a minute. It's hard to tell a story in a minute. And it's hard to tell a story that, that makes sense and gets the point across and is, is impactful in a minute. And that was her main thing that she was challenging us with. And then we had to figure out how to do that all on our own. And, and I, I had a camera I had set up at my house. And then I also had cameras at school I could use. And we did, I did it fully analog. Um, I cut on the steam back. I, I conformed it on film. I, um, I did, I did all the sound logging on mag stock and I made a log of the sound and, uh, I'm really glad that I had that experience that, uh, I got to do everything physically because it is so much like all other fabrication that goes into stop motion where you build puppets and you build sets, you're building your film, you're building your film from nothing. And that, uh, it was, I, it, I had a friend at the time who was comparing it filmmaking to weaving because it's the same kind of, uh. you know, putting together materials into a final product. And, um, I, uh, so that I made that that way and, um, that short film, uh, I, I showed it around school and around town and I sent it to some, uh, independent film festivals. Um, I can't remember where all it played. I know it played Chicago independent film festival. And then, uh, I think John Hopkins, I can't remember, but, um, it was called someday. And it's a story about a girl, uh, who, uh, wakes up in the morning and hears a strange sound out her window and she looks out the window <laughs> And there's a boy on the front lawn, and he's hyperventilating because he his he's fallen on the ground. You don't know how he got there, and and a ways away is his inhaler, and he can't reach it. Oh and goodness. so she goes downstairs <laughs> and she gets it and she hands it to him, and he takes a puff, and then they fall in love, and uh, <laughs> and that's it. And then the sun goes back down, and uh, that was this that was the short and. I showed it to some people and I, I played around and then I, so I had friends who were in bands and, and made music. And, um, two of my friends knew Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes and, um, they both were like, you know, you and Connor should work together on something. And at the time I was in college and I was like, I want to be Stan Breckage. I didn't, I didn't think about music videos. I didn't understand that that was something I could do. I didn't even think of myself as a director. I was just like, I always want to make art, art films and experimental things. And, you know, um, I knew I wanted to make movies and tell stories, but I didn't actually really think I could do it. And I didn't think there was any way that I could ever get there. It felt really far away from me. And also because Chicago is such an art school, it was the art world, not the entertainment world. Um, and very much so the art world. And I, um, I was sort of like, I, I didn't, I liked the art world. <laughs> I didn't know, but I also kind of knew I probably wouldn't be able to get away with like being stamp wreckage. You know, like I, I was like, I have to figure out how to 
support myself in the world and and <laughs> afford cameras and afford you know so i got to have some commercial aspirations and if if i can actually do what i love and make money at it then i got to try to do that and so um i i uh, but at the time sorry i'm jumping ahead at the time <laughs> i was still like, oh, Connor and I can make an experimental film together. Like, he can work on the images as much as I work on the music, and that'd be really fun. And that, and he and I um, ended up meeting and talking about it. And we were gonna. I sent him that short someday on a VHS tape, and <laughs> and we were like, let's do, let's just like, uh, let's do an experimental film sometime. And and that's it. And then uh, I, we both like our lives caught us up you know like we didn't we lost track of each other for a bit and I moved to Berlin and I went to school there uh at the Universität de Kunst for for um like a half like a semester half a year and um and then I came back and Connor while I was gone his career had blown up like he had gone from someone that only like a few people knew to someone that almost everyone knew uh, yeah. in the time that I was in Berlin, everyone being like kids in college at the time. You know? This was around like 2002. Um, and uh, I think 2002, I think, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. After 9-11, it was after 9-11. Um, so, so, um, so uh, I came back and I went to one of his shows and I got to the show and um Connor was like, oh, there you are. He's like, I have an album coming out and you want to make a video and I want you to make my video. And I was like, okay. And I, I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to budget a video. I didn't know how long a video was supposed to be. I didn't, like, I, I didn't understand at all what that meant, but I was like, yes, I will do it. I will do the thing. And so I created a concept and I, I told it to him on the phone. Like I didn't ever have, I never wrote a treatment. I just called him and said, I think I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then, um, and then they gave me, I think $1,500 and I made it. Uh, and nice. I used some school equipment and I used some of my, uh, own equipment and I, and I built all the puppets in the, in the sets myself. I actually have, can I grab, I have the puppets. Can I sure. Grab? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be right back. Okay. I know this is a visual, it's like a, uh, this is an audio medium, but one second. <laughs> okay. So Connor has the deer, but this is the, those are the. Oh, wow. That's it. It's, it kind of looks like a mosaic almost. Like well, it, yeah, they're, they're they're embroidered, ah. and it's flat, multi-plane puppets. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The hinges cool. are, are buttons. So if I you love look that you framed it, also. Yeah, it's in like a. So oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for showing me. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, um, so that was. I can't believe I still have this. I don't. Even, um, so that was the first real music video I made. Um, and uh, that kind of is like how um, how oh, okay. I sort of started doing things as uh, making art for money. <laughs> but even though I didn't even make that much, I didn't I didn't make any money on it. But it was like it's how I started making things and how I started. People started finding my work and and. Um, it's sort of every single thing. And, uh, and it, um, I'm really, really proud of it to this day. Yeah. Uh, and, 
still friends with all those people <laughs> so Amazing. long ago. Thank yeah. Um, I'm wondering, your work stands out very much, I think, to anybody who sees it. Is there, what is the goal that you're trying to pursue when you work on something? Are you thinking about uh, creating a certain aesthetic or a certain type of story? Or like, what is that thing that you think stands out to people that, that are, they're like, oh, I want to work with Kat? Um, uh, now that I'm, let's see. I mean, I try to do, it's funny because um, there's, I really love being sincere in the stories I tell. And even like if it's a very funny, twisted, fucked up, messed up story, um, I try to tell it from the most sincere and emotional place I can. Because I think the humor and the messed upness and the dark stuff will come out anyway. And um, in the sincerity, I think, is where I find the magic for me in that. Um, so I try to always approach it with the, the with no irony whatsoever. Just um, I'm telling this story as if this is real life in every single way. And um, so there's that. So with like a narrative, that's something that I really look for is like, even if it's the most crazy story you've ever heard, um, is there still a sincere emotional thread there? And if there is, that's what I glom onto and that's what makes me the most excited. Um, uh, but then there's also technically, um, I really love like Vernon who writes Shivering Truth. Um, I love his writing because it's so, it's so it's heady and it's grand and big and it sounds when you read it absolutely impossible it sounds like how it makes sense emotionally you read it and you can take it in like you take in a poem like when you read a poem or song lyrics you know but then translating that to a visual thing is is the huge challenge and in in a way that i i i, I like that's what I crave. Like I love yeah. when something is, I love when something sounds impossible and I have to figure out visually how to show it in a way that it doesn't feel like it could ever actually be shown. Uh, you know, like it doesn't, doesn't feel like something that could actually get across to anybody. Um, but then I have to figure out how, and, 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 uh, Vernon and I do that together on this show. Um, and, I love it. I love that challenge. And I, and that's, and that's also what I look for in live action scripts I read and, and books I read and, and songs that people send me and um, any kind of loose concept is, okay, where's the impossible part of this that I have to figure out. And that's, that's a big part of it. <laughs> Maybe that, I really like that the sincerity and, and like the, how the writing is, it, it's like bigger than life almost, I guess. Um, maybe now is a good and time for your you limitations. to, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say maybe now's a good time for you to give like a maybe a one sentence pitch on what the shivering truth is for somebody who may not have heard or seen it. I want to yeah. hear what you say coming out of um, your mouth. <laughs> uh, so what I've always said um, is that it's sort of like a, the, a twilight zone. But if like the twilight zone was eating its own tail and then like shitting out diamonds. It's a, it's I, a, it's a, it's like a, um, 
a, twi- a, a self-aware Twilight Zone that is also like um, putting on a hat and doing a little dance for you. You know, like that's Fair kind enough. of what it is. Yeah. And, and also, I, I, really like I feel like stop motion has always been kind of heralded as the, the creepy form of animation. And I feel like you really take that to the nth degree with, with yeah. the show. <laughs> yeah. Can, can you tell really me the story of how you ended up becoming director and producer on the show? Um, you know, I just uh I was already uh directing everything that I was making um when I met Vernon and hmm. we um we so decided how did, how did you meet? We met through um a, a friend who was working just as a producer, as an animation producer, Amazing. who uh I had met at a general meeting and we just became we just became friends, and then he was like, you got to meet Vernon. You guys, I think, would work really well together. And I think he probably said the same thing to to Vernon. <laughs> and then we, we met, and we got along really well. And it took us seven years to develop the show um, wow. and to, to make the show, to actually make the show between when we met and when we actually did it. Um, uh, and it uh, we had to, we did that by sitting together and just brainstorming and coming up with crazy ideas and sharing art and music and stuff that we really loved and we wanted it to be um, uh, we we wanted it to be unique to animation and to stop motion specifically we wanted to make the most the most animated show you could think of like we wanted to really push it as an animated show um, uh, like push it push the medium as far as we could. And I feel like we still do that all the time. We're always like do, trying to do something that you could both only do in stop motion, but also no one has really done yet in stop motion. Like we, we kind of try to do, find that sweet spot. Can you give um, an example of what that might be? Something that uh, you can only do in stop motion, but nobody's done? Like, yeah, like sometimes like the, like in the pilot, like when the puppets have guts, like when they, like when the puppet gets like cut open and there's guts inside, there's no guts inside that puppet, you know, like things like that, that really push it. Or, um, um, in season two, there's a guy who's like arms stretch out in an impossible way and the type of puppet he is like, that's not physically possible. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and so we love to take, we love to establish the rules of the show, establish like, these are what the puppets look like. And then, push that and mess with it and and but have it all also make sense to the story or be because of be in service of the story that's interesting because with stop motion it's more costly and timely to create a puppet that can kind of squash and stretch because most of the time you just have a puppet and you just move it around so are you specifically trying to mimic other forms of animation in stop motion or just kind of say like look this can be done in stop motion but at the same time, is it a risk to do these things? We love that the world is so looks the neutral version of the Shivering Truth world looks so mundane yeah. that we really like taking that and then sort of Looney Tunesing it up, like like turning it into kind of a cartoon. Um, and but it has to look mundane first. You have to establish it as a normal place first before you mess with it. So that's kind of um, uh, I guess that does that answer it a little bit that it I kind so. of I think uh, I'm also wondering is it like when you're talking to the you know you're also the producer and you you're like this scene I want the arms to stretch out and they're like oh well we're gonna have to build another puppet and then like another puppet on top of that and then build these extra arms and you're like get it done anyways <laughs> um I wish I could be like get it done anyways my job <laughs> is is like um 
script says this, like says that this has to happen. Um, here's the actual, here's the resources that we have in order to make that happen. You yeah. can see that we don't have the resources to make that happen. That's when I have to come in and say, okay, what about if we did it this way? Or what about if we did it this way? What if we shot it like this? What if we, I try to use every single bit of experience I have to find it. And, and, and sometimes I can't. And I luckily have had the greatest fabrication crews and animation crews that they also bring those kind of ideas to the table. And they really, they really help us find a really cool way to do something that um, is like not, um, uh, 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 responsible, like in a um, production way, like it's sort of like we we have to find we have to problem solve in a way that won't make us break the bank, but also will still show the the effect in the way that we're hoping to show it. So, um, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm I'm uh, so it's like okay, we can't afford we can't afford to do it this way we can't afford to make 10 versions of this puppet so how can we do it with two versions of this puppet and and then you're like well this okay so if the second puppet he's only used for this and this effect then the first puppet that's good but we should probably also make a separate face for him because in case because we're using him so much if his face gets messed up we're gonna need to put another we're gonna need another face for him um it's that kind of stuff and I, I try really hard it there's so much that goes into the show that you're always gonna overlook things and not have enough of anything but um I try really hard to think of most of it up front and nice. and problem solve it as much as I can but so, I do like that part of it a lot <laughs> yeah well yeah. I I feel like a lot of stop motion is just problem solving. Um, yes. What is 99% of your time spent doing when you're directing and producing this show? Is it is it kind of that problem solving and kind of running around and trying to figure things out? Like, yeah, um, it is. Yeah. It's it's that it a lot of well, especially at the beginning and in, in the boarding process. That's all it is. Is it's me figuring out how to uh, how we're gonna do all this stuff and making a list of all of it and 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 really like itemizing it with my crew. Um, I thumbnail almost, almost the whole show, uh, with Vernon, um, before our board artists even start. And then I work with the board artists to, to get the animatics into a good spot. Then we send them to Vernon and, and, and Vernon and I work with the editor to cut them and overcut them and get them exactly where we want them to be. And, and the, the animatics are very, very, very detailed. Um, it's when we're actually, that's all pre-production stuff. We have, we have countless free pro meetings about every little tiny thing you can possibly imagine. And then once we get started with animation, I am so busy because we have 15 stages at once and about 13 animators and we never want animators having too much downtime. So I am just going from stage to stage to stage through the whole day. I'm, I'm pretty much on my feet in on a stage every day, every moment of the day, either um, setting up a shot with the DP and the camera department or um, going through rigging or blocking with the animator or um, looking at a shot and trying to problem solve something that came up all of a sudden. But there's not a lot, there's not a lot of stuff. There's not a lot of surprises um, because we are really obsessive in pre-pro about it making sounds, it. It sounds like that. I'm, I'm, it also sounds like you have a very, you and Vernon have a very distinct 
vision that you're executing through every step. Have you yeah. learned cer a certain way to communicate with people on your team to really get them to see that vision that you have from the storyboard artist to the animator and everybody and the editing, et cetera? Um, uh, like tips or I hope, so. I, I hope so. I hope I do. Um, I this, so. this season, this season, something I did that I'm really happy with, um, is I tried to give the animators the scenes and the episodes and the characters that they were most excited about. So huh. I sent them all the scripts and all the animatics up front and I said, okay, these are, these are, these are the episodes. Um, please write me and tell me what you like and what you're excited about. And, and we'll try to get you on those. And then, and then that way they had a little more of an attachment to it than if we hadn't um, done that. I've and I, I really, had any studio before, I think that's really great. Thanks. I think it really worked. And I, and um, I, I think you can see it in the, in the new episodes. Um, I, I, I'm really proud of the first season, extremely proud of it. I can't believe we ever did that. But in the second season, I think um, you can see the performance is a little stronger in my opinion. And I think it's because I, I did take more time this second season to really work with the animators about uh, as much as I possibly had time for um, about who this character is and what they're like and, and, and finding the right characters, casting the right characters, the right animators. Um, I, and also the right moments. Cause there's so many, there's not just characters in the show. There's a lot of like heady, um, kind of, um, themes and some yeah. themes people don't want to, some themes, some of the animators are like, no, thank you. I don't want to animate that. And then other themes, they're like, I want to, I can't wait to animate that. <laughs> so I try really hard to listen to that and, 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 do what they want, you know, and um, and I really appreciate them for it because we, the show, also we don't ever have time to do another take, so everything yeah. you're seeing is a first take. Oh wow! And um, and our and so the, the animators really do, yeah, and so the animator, thank you, <laughs> and the animators really do have to feel connected to it and have to feel like I've given them everything they need. I really hope I do. Uh, you know, it's uh. I feel like I could always give more. Uh, and I do think someone who is like a, I don't consider myself like a true animation director. I, I consider myself more as a like a holistic overall director. Um, really good animation directors that I've worked with and that I've met, they are so much better at this stuff than me as far as like breaking down with the animator exactly how to get the character out of the certain puppet. I try, I do everything I can, but like, if that was all I was doing, I might be a little bit better at it. But also I just compared to the animation directors that I know they're fucking, they're so much, they're so good at it in a way that I wish, I, I wish I could be. <laughs> um, do, you, yeah. do you ever get an animator or somebody in storyboarding or something, um, give you feedback or ideas and then incorporate that into the final? Yeah. Yeah, as much as we can, yes. Um, and and some of the stuff that comes out is so exciting, especially in the animatic editing. We have a uh, our animatic editors really bring a lot to the table in a way that I really love. And our our um, sound designer is so awesome and hands on and amazing. He brings a lot to the table. Um, and I uh, I love. I mean. I, my art director on this season was so great. He's always excited about little details and adding in little details. Um, and our and our lead builder too. Both of them had had like this love and respect for the show that I really 
I can't thank them enough for. And um, my uh, all of them. I mean, it's like people, what people bring to the show, like even the tiniest thing, like certain artists bring in that I couldn't have had without them there. And so I've both seasons, we had totally different crew uh, between first season one and season two, because a lot of people are on um, Pinocchio and Wendell Wild. Right, right, right. So, so um, I was a little nervous, like working with a whole new crew on a show that we'd already made one season of, but um, I'm extremely proud of both seasons. And I, I still can't believe that we made these, this, even six episodes, let alone now 12 episodes. So I'm, I'm so insanely proud of this show. Actually yeah. 13. Also. That sounds almost terrifying. Like you work with all these people in season one and then they're like, goodbye. <laughs> Here's it was a bunch scary. Of people that don't know anything. So, so yeah. I guess for you working on the second season now and, and you know, it's coming out soon. What was the biggest thing you learned um, about yourself or your, or career wise working on this the second time around? Oh, I love that question. <laughs> um, uh, the biggest thing, um, I think I've, I think I've learned that I can never be too thorough. Like I can never give too much to my people as far as references go, and explanations and context. And you, my job as the director is to be able to answer every single question and be confident in my answer. And that when they ask me, I need to have an answer. And I also, I also need to know that that's true and not um, kind of not go and change it over and over and over and over. I, I can't, I've worked on enough projects with people that do that to know that that's just doesn't work. And I, so my only job as director is to know what I want. And so I have to make sure I always know what I want. And I feel like you can only get better at that. And every time I do it again and again, I get better and better. Um, this season, we had like a folder for every single tiny prop with a reference in it. And that is, I'm really proud of us for getting there with that. Um, I, it's, I just know you can't give too much and you always, there's always something that you forgot to give them that they need and that you have to rush and get to them and, and you have to be confident in your decisions and, um, and you have to live. You do something and you decide that you want it to be a certain way and they do it and they do it well. And then you realize, Oh, it's not quite what I had thought I actually wanted, man. Like you just have to be like, well, that's what it is now because that's what I, I did, you know, and, and it's okay. And it's beautiful. And I don't know. I'm really, uh, I, I guess there's that. And then there's also that, um, I think, uh, you can never like thank your crew enough for how much work they're doing and how much, how much they're putting out there, um, and taking out of their lives to be there. And, and I feel like you can, I want to. I want something I want to do as I kind of get to a place in my career where I actually have the ability to do it is, is give back to my crew by like hearing out their ideas and the things that they want to make and trying to help them figure out how to do that. So, cause they're so insanely talented and they have so many skills that I, I, I guess I should say this, my, the thing that I kind of believe as a director that you have to, to, to bring is an understanding of every job that you're hiring other people to do. 
you have to know what that job is enough. You have to have done at least a part of it to understand the limitations of that job. And then I think what you should do once you grasp what the jobs are and what they take and how hard they are is then hire people that you think are way better at that specific job than you could ever be and let them do their work. Let them bring what they know and what they love to the table and feel proud of it and responsible for it because that and believe them when they tell you that something would work better another way, you know, because you know that they're the expert at that thing. And you, you can't be because you'd only have, you only have so many arms. You only have so many hands. You can't, you can't be the expert at everything. So you have to trust your crew. And anyway, so that's like, that's something I think about a lot. <laughs> I try to, I, really, I try to do that every day. <laughs> I really like both those things. I think, um, you know, hiring somebody that's better than you is, is kind of tough as an artist sometimes, especially for me, because I want to do everything myself when I'm working on production. You know, it's, it's hard to give, a, it's hard to give away stuff to other people. But I'm wondering, um, also when I'm creating stuff, sometimes in my head, I have second thoughts about, is this the best way to do it? Uh, maybe it's going to take me more time to think about this. How do you gain that confidence when you don't feel so confident about something uh, do you so, do you have any tips or tricks yeah so especially with shivering vernon and i we spend so much before production even starts before one dollar is spent on the show vernon and i get together and we do all that thumbnail and boarding stuff we do it all ahead of time. We figure out what the characters look like ahead of time. We, as much as we can, yeah. we really, really make sure that we, we do any experimentation and any rethinking and any work in pre-pro. And, and then as soon as the animatics are locked, we don't let ourselves change things. Ah, okay. So you have it, like a, you have like a set, you're like, this is what it is. It's going to be this now. Interesting. Yeah, and also, but also it works because you tell yourself, okay, right now in pre-pro, I have, I get to, I get to change my mind in pre-pro. I get to make, I get to not be satisfied. I get to rework things and figure things out. I get to do another round of notes because I know that this is going to stop soon and I'm going to have to live with my decisions. That makes sense. <laughs> you know? You're almost like setting a cutoff for you to not make decisions anymore. I like that a lot. That, that doesn't make sense. Okay. I, I have one kind of last question for you. Okay. Um, remember at the start, I said you, you had a dream. How does it, how does it feel living your life and your career now? Is it, is it the dream? Is there something <laughs> you're working towards still? Um, I actually should say, yeah, yes. Um, I, I sort of, um, think I say this a lot that, success is kind of a construct because you whenever you have a goal or an idea or a picture in your head of what something is gonna do for you or how it's gonna help you in some way or what it's gonna change in your life whether it's like a work goal a relationship goal a health goal anything by the time you accomplish that goal and you do that thing and you get that done you are already so far into imagining what your next goal is that any any success you might like want to bask in from that from getting that thing that you wanted all that time is kind of overshadowed by you wanting the next thing and wanting to and knowing that there's something else you get to make and something else you get to do and so i've really found my own happiness in appreciating the process and appreciating 
the desire and appreciating that I still like wake up wanting more and having new ideas and wanting to make another thing that I've never been able to do before or have to convince somebody to let me do something. I've learned to love that part of it way more than any sort of accolade or self-fulfilling, um, uh, uh, satisfaction thing that, uh, I just don't, I'm usually already on to the next thing. Uh, uh, and I, and it's helped me at least, uh, cause this industry is not easy. <laughs> and, and if you're waiting around for benefits and rewards, then you're never, ever going to be happy. And, and if you're not happy, then you shouldn't do it, you know? So I try to stay happy in just the process of it and the making of it and the individual day-to-day funny things that happen. <laughs> that was the most wholesome answer I could have ever asked for. That was, that was fantastic. Sorry, um, I hope it there, No, that was great. So what is next for you now that uh, Shivering Truth is under your belt twice now? Uh, well, um, I'm sure Vernon and I will do more stuff together uh, sometime. We'll see. Uh, we, we talk about it all the time. Um, at the moment, everything's on hold because of the right, COVID of stuff. Um, I have, I tend to go back and forth between live action and animation. So I really would love to do another live action project next, but because of how everything is, who knows? Um, I'm developing a couple of projects. Some are hybrid stop motion and live action. Some are all live action and some are all animated. Um, so right now, literally I'm not, I'm in the middle. I, I am, I'm, I, at the moment, just getting ready to find the next thing, uh, We'll see. I had a, I had a couple projects that were going to happen that got got rescheduled and pushed because of um, everything. So it's, at the moment, just excited for Shivering to come out. Excited to hear what people think of it, and that's it. <laughs> well, I I don't know if love is the right word. I I mean I loved it, but it's almost <laughs> like creeped out by it. <laughs> but I I, think, I I feel like the reaction you were going for is exactly what I experienced. I don't know how to describe it. It's like <laughs> like a whirlwind of a story that brings you back to the start and you get lost in each episode like you don't even realize where you're at and where you came from at certain points you're like wait wasn't I just in this other section and now I'm over here anyways I'm I think- really proud of the way that that the episodes feel longer than 11 minutes even yeah, though they're 11 yeah. it feels like yeah. I don't eat Vernon's like so an good. Endless time loop almost sometimes. <laughs> I know it's amazing yeah. well is there anything else you'd like to share Kat um, no, uh, but I, I really, um, I love people that are trying to make it in animation and I'm here and I, and I want to, I don't know. I just, I just want them all to know that I've done it and I've been here and I know how hard it is and I hope they keep doing it and, Amazing. uh, yeah, don't well, give up. Anything <laughs> you want to say specifically, like that helped you and your journey to, to kind of get here? Well, yeah. Well, aside from just, I'm still doing it <laughs> all yeah. the time, and we all are. Um, uh, the people that I found in every single industry, the people that are successful are the people that didn't let it go and didn't yeah. stop. And that's really it. Um, so just keep doing it and putting out stuff every day. And also keep taking in stuff every day and watching things and and, and loving other people's art because that's, that's the only thing that's going to inspire you. You can't, you can't like you know, make something about nothing. So you can't just love animation. You have to love everything else too. <laughs> like thank really you. look for Thank stories. you so much. That was a really nice <laughs> note to end on. <laughs> well, thank you so 
much for coming on the podcast, Chad. It's been a uh, fantastic chat. I've, I've loved to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. And if you're listening and you'd like to follow Kat's work or get in touch with her, you can do so by checking her out on Instagram or Twitter. And I'm going to include both those links in the description of this chat. And also look out for the season two premiere of The Shivering Truth on Adult Swim on May 10th, which is coming up really soon. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye.